1: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasse, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Alex, everybody, we I can see Alex. We're doing this uh, Zoom face-to-face, so I get to see him. Your beard's getting nice and bushy. What's going on? <laughs> um Self care going down the tubes in this lockdown? <laughs> or are you just liking the look? <laughs> it's a bit of both, <laughs> a bit of both. To uh, be honest, but and honestly, with the, with this lockdown, obviously with not being able to get my hair cut either, it's a bit of a <laughs> <laughs> it's the wild look coming out. It's 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 a good thing that I'm on radio most days, and and that the, the very few. Uh, host that uh, can bear to bear to work with me can. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now tell me, are you in your jammies as you're sitting no, no. there? No, How oh, good no, for you? Get up and no. get dressed in the morning. That's a good habit. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes true. I will go from the beginning of the day and I'll jump back into bed in the same pajamas that I wore the night before. Um, I will tell you, it's hard I, I to prom- get things going. I promise myself, you know, take care of the essentials. But <laughs> it's
2: important. It's, it's important for me to.
1: Make sure that uh, that the work day and the sleep day are well-defined. Yeah. That's that's a good practice. It's a good practice. Anyways, I kind of like the beard. So there you go. Sorry, I just hit my microphone. It might have been a big loud noise, but uh, I like it. Anyways, today's show is recorded. So no opportunity for calling in. Please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram twitter and facebook and we are at the health hub rmc in all three locations and please um do follow us on our social sites Uh, we are did i just say that yes follow us on instagram twitter and facebook at the health Hub rmc and please if you feel like you want to email us email us at thh at radio you may feel like you want to do it after this (laughs) sorry about that um and please do subscribe to our podcast we are the health hub no spaces on iTunes, SoundCloud, and all your favorite podcasts. Your, Alex is cracking up on the other end. Um, there's a lot of things that went on behind this. I am getting through it, though. I am getting through this. You can also find our podcast on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is radiomaria.ca and on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. Today's guest—he's um, a local man, and he would have been in our studio, I think, if uh, a local doctor, naturopathic doctor, if uh, we had had the opportunity to record this in in store, in store, in the station. Goodness, it's a good thing he does most of the talking. His name is Dr. William Latouche and he is a naturopathic doctor and educator with a clinical focus in complex chronic disease, including chronic Lyme disease and co-infections, mold illness, multiple chemical sensitivities, autoimmune disease, metabolic and digestive conditions, chronic pain, and chronic fatigue, which is what we'll be focusing uh, on today. Dr. Latouche uses an integrative mind approach drawing from extensive training and experience in naturopathy biological medicine, homotoxicology, applied kinesiology, neurotherapy, Reiki, and mindfulness based on stress reduction to help patients who experience conditions that have been difficult to diagnose and treat in the conventional setting and who have had limited success working with other practitioners. In addition to clinical practice, Dr. Latouche is the Eastern Canada Education and Technical Support Manager for vita Aid Professional Therapeutics and is also a part-time faculty member at the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition in Toronto. I got through that. Dr. Latouche, I was not going to... um, not going to do you disservice. So got them well done through that. So it's going to be a pleasure talking to him. You'll enjoy this conversation. We will be talking about uh, common symptoms of chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, what are key strategies to help boost energy, and how is chemical sensitivity related to chronic fatigue syndrome. So everybody, please stay tuned. The show will get much better when Dr. Latouche comes on. We'll talk to you in a few minutes.
3: My weary heart, strengthen my broken parts. Lead me to your open arms, word of truth, illuminate all these lies. The enemy speaks inside, and freedom I will rise. Cause you call me out.
0: Listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biassi.
1: Welcome back, everybody. As mentioned, our show is being taped, so no opportunity for calling in. But please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on all three locations. Doctor Latouche, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us as I hit my clock here.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me.
1: Um, the area that we're going to be discussing, chronic fatigue, you know, just in the past five to ten years, there have been such inroads um, into chronic fatigue. And I guess before we get into it, let's let's sort of get a background on you. We've heard your bio, but how did you become interested in this area of uh, naturopathic medicine?
4: I'll try to keep it brief, as, no, no. Uh, as most Expound. of these stories are. <laughs> I um I was always interested in in health and wellness. I got into personal training and fitness very early on, and the intention was to move into physiotherapy, just because that was a very hands on or is a very hands on modality and one that aligned with fitness and sports and those kinds of things. And I did the standard kinesiology uh, bachelor of science undergrad. And when I graduated, my mother fell ill, and it was an interesting experience. Um, interesting is probably the best word I can use to encapsulate it, many different facets to it. But she was um, dealing with a very odd neurological presentation. She was working with some of the best neurologists. We're in Toronto, in Toronto. And um, it was undiagnosed for three years. It was misdiagnosed. We ultimately decided to travel abroad, um, working with some close family contacts overseas to, to try and get some deep insight into what was going on. And uh, through that process, thanks, thankfully landed on a, on a medical diagnosis and appropriate medical treatment, and that started her on the road to healing. And it was only through um, what we would term complementary and alternative medicine that she really experienced a deep healing, a spontaneous remission. And one of those stories that really just... Um, makes you be in awe if nothing else of just the wonder of the human body and the the depth and 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 um scope of some of these modalities and treatments and really the the value of complementary and integrative care and it at that point during that process i was very determined to move into conventional medicine i'd kind of parked to the idea of, of physiotherapy i wanted to be more involved in 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 uh, conventional medical care just based on my experience with her and her journey through that. And um, having gone through that latter aspect and, and experiencing and witnessing the value of, um, it wasn't naturopathic medicine, but a, just the value of, of comprehensive care that fills in the gaps, that is able to address the person on a deeper level, to integrate the various facets of who they are and their being. Um, that that started to shift the trajectory. And at that point, I was actively applying to medical schools, and that was still the intention. I had no idea what naturopathic medicine was. Thankfully, a dear friend said, well, why don't you check it out? The applications were due in a week. I got to work. I got my application in without really knowing anything about it. But it's one of those things where the, the road is opening up in front of you, the doors are opening, the wind is at your back. And the more I began to understand it, Um, as I was applying for the program, the more I just felt like this is absolutely the right fit. And outside of just my mother's experience, I recognized that this is a a way to help um, fill in the gaps where conventional medicine, as strong as it is with acute care, emergent care, drug therapy, surgeries, those kinds of things, when it comes to chronic disease, particularly these vague, odd chronic degenerative diseases, um, naturopathic medicine really seemed to have a strong foothold. And uh, I'm grateful that the challenging experiences then led me to where I am now, because I'm eternally grateful for the kind of work I can do and in, um, in dealing with a, a topic such as what we are about to chat about today. Naturopathic medicine really does provide um, significant a significant platform for for the healing processes to occur. So it was through some challenging circumstances that then brought me to the awareness of what naturopathy is. And and through naturopathic medicine, I've been able to work um, with complex cases. And based on my own health, based on my mother's experience, uh, that's largely what's driven me into this side of naturopathic care, working with what we call complex chronic illnesses.
1: Mm-hmm. And the illnesses that you deal with are not easy ones. Um, now, when it comes to chronic fatigue, now, I've always denoted it as chronic fatigue syndrome. I'm not sure if that's um, the the right way to, to speak of it. But um, as I said, you know, when I was coming through school, this was in our books, and it was... I think the medical field a lot of times associated this with some sort of a psychological issue. Um, and And just to have the the people now in place, I mean, just to see how far things have come. and I think because of what you were talking about, dealing on a systemic level, um, now people are I imagine the fact that it is now a recognized syndrome, even even a complex one, as you say, but at least, that psychological lift where people don't feel like they're losing it um, must in and of itself be a terrific offload for these people that have been suffering for so long.
4: You're absolutely right. I think part of the greatest challenge outside of the physical debility in a lot of, a lot of uh, cases, but, but just the fact that these individuals tend to be told that this is psychosomatic, it's all in your head Listen, we're gonna, you know, get you in front of a psychiatrist and get you on some antidepressants, and hey, that might help with some of the mood challenges they're having. But this is not a, psych- a psychiatric or psychological illness, and that was definitely a significant pivot point in the the um, recognition, acknowledgement of, and validation of what people have been dealing with for a very long time. The earliest documented cases, fourteen hundred BC. Um, in Egypt, where where this kind of post-infectious fatigue was was first identified, so it's taken a while mm-hmm. to remove that that um, that stigma from it.
1: Well, failing to thrive was an umbrella canopy sort of idea for um, for people that were in this situation, right? It was right. just a failure to thrive, and you know the the fact that there are. I, I had an interview recently. We talked about mast cell activation syndrome, and. Again, we're talking about an umbrella diagnosis, but it can actually, it, at least it gives people a reason to to give, have hope and a direction to point in. So what you're doing not only helps people psychologically uh, and physically, it really gives them hope and uh, a great reason that I wanted to have you on the show. But diving now into the actual chronic fatigues, and first thing I wanted to ask you, is there a population bias with... Um, with this diagnosis?
4: We see a higher um, prevalence within the female demographic. Um, Generally, age-wise, we'll see 30 to 55, 60-year-old females. Um, Outside of that, when it comes to things like ethnicity or other facets of of the demographics, it's somewhat hazy, but we do see a a tilt towards uh, the female population, more so than males.
1: Which begs the question, why?
4: Million dollar question. <laughs> we see this with various autoimmune conditions. We see this with a number of complex um, conditions. And the, the simplified and likely not complete um, uh, consideration is that you know the the nature of, of female hormones. And this is not appropriate per se. But but there's there can be more complexity to the nature of female hormones and and the layering that that adds in and. So that's often been what what's been identified, but I'm sure there there can be more to it than that. And I'm also mindful that historically, and I find in practice, males typically don't seek care as as much as females do, and it, it may partly be just lack of of identification because people are not
1: coming forward as well. Um, so for men who are not seeking treatment, um, it is this because they have sort of a different psyche when it comes to this? Do they drive through where women are more pensive and ruminate?
4: I don't know if it's, I, I mean, we we still have a, a fairly predominant kind of male stiff upper lip masculinity, um, you know, uh, complex that, that a lot of males can, can kind of fall under that umbrella. And so I think a lot of it is, is partly related to, just feeling like no, no, this is fine, or this is normal, or I can't show that something is going on. Most of the males I see in practice are, are dragged in by their mm-hmm. by their partners. Um, not not all. Um, there's a, a tendency I find for for females, and I, I'm I'm mindful of, of generalizing, but mm-hmm. just from what I've seen, just to be more proactive with respect to health than than my male counterparts, and and then the male patients I see in in practice. Um, and so I, I, I find that females will be more, at least the females I work with in practice, will be more inclined to um, take action with respect to what they're experiencing around these symptoms and, mm-hmm. and try to intervene.
1: Well, that's a positive thing.
4: Yeah, Absolutely.
1: What do you find are the common symptoms, the symptomology underlying a chronic fatigue diagnosis?
4: Mm -hmm. Uh, What I try to do to make sense of it for myself as well as for patients is stratify into kind of simple and complex fatigue. And simple doesn't, doesn't mean to downplay the severity of the symptoms, how it might impact someone's life, but simple fatigue may relate more to something that is more easily diagnosed more easily treated and with more predictable outcomes. This would be um, related to a nutrient deficiency, iron, mm-hmm. vitamin D, B12, maybe poor sleep, burning the candle at both ends, or, or the fallout from COVID with respect mm-hmm. to just having to do all of the things right now, children at home, et cetera. Um, so that would be one of the facets and, and would be related to some of what I've just mentioned. Also, you know, general diet, general digestion, how the body is working with those nutrients. Um, hormonal imbalances like thyroid pathology, uh, hypothyroidism, blood sugar dysregulation. Um, These would be more classified as simple for those based on the factors that I mentioned. Uh, From the complex side of it, this would be a a chronic and persistent fatigue. We're looking at at least six months, Um, a, a kind of fatigue that's not restored by sleep. So, so with rest, people are not feeling rejuvenated the way you would if this was related to other factors. People might experience generalized aches and pain, whether they're muscles or joints. They may experience brain fog, difficulty with word recall, um, uh, mood changes, tendency to anxiety, depression, both, other things. Um, they often have kind of a cold prodrome or that feeling you get before you get sick sore throats, inflamed lymph nodes at the throat, general malaise and lethargy. Um, The symptoms can be widespread, and and one of the things as well can be hypersensitivity. These individuals can... um, be quite sensitive to a number of different foods that they were able to tolerate in the past. They may be sensitive to fragrances and and chemicals. They may be sensitive to even things like electromagnetic frequency and radio frequency, which always sounds out there to a lot of people, but there are individuals that don't do well with those exposures. So, So a central sensitization of their nervous system can happen as well. So there, there can be a handful of symptoms. And there are multi-page questionnaires that we use to identify the symptoms that someone may, experience, may be experiencing. But those would be some of the predominant ones.
1: So when someone comes into your office, uh, they're telling you that they just can't get enough rest? Is that like, A, number one, I'm just always tired. I don't feel like getting out of bed. And then they're going, you're sending them down this pathway. This is the first thing you're looking for. It's easy to see where um, the psychological diagnosis can be placed on that. It really is easy because, um, you know, that's one of the symptoms of depression, right? right? You can't get enough sleep. You don't feel like getting out of bed. Now, Mm -hmm. before we go to break, um, so obviously you're going to be doing some um, clinical testing. Mm -hmm. What testing would you be recommending?
4: A standard round of blood work to rule out the quote-unquote simple um, components or causes of the fatigue, so looking at nutrient status, iron status, uh, hormones, blood sugar, things of that nature, that would be a fairly standard starting point. Beyond that, there are what we call functional lab tests. These are lab tests that are generally um, accessed by naturopathic doctors where we would look at enzyme function. How well is the body able to produce and utilize energy? Are there various factors that might be impacting um, the function of these enzymes? It's called an organic acid test. Mm -hmm. We may look at more comprehensive stool assessment to understand what's happening within the gut microbiome. And we will likely look for pathogens or infectious um, factors that may be implicated in the case. And again, over and above what what would be run in a, a standard setting. The goal would be to work with other specialists that, to get more comprehensive testing done, but at least within the uh, individual practice, um, those would be some of the tests that would be looked at. And then there are, my patients don't love me for it, but there are about three to five ha- questionnaires that, that help narrow the focus as well, fairly comprehensive questionnaires.
1: Would you find that um, most are suffering from some nutritional deficiency in, in some amino acids or, or minerals?
4: amino acids, essential fatty, fatty acids, and certain minerals. And I would say not always dependent on diet, right? Just the the degree of inflammation within the digestive tract can impact mm-hmm. absorption, as you're aware. Um, and so I do find that that um, some form of a macro and micronutritional deficiency or insufficiency is likely there. And we want to build our house on stone, not on sand. And so identifying those deficiencies, remedying them as much as we can, provides us with a firmer platform to then move forward into The deeper weeds of some of these situations.
1: You you brought up a point, and I want I want to come circle back and reiterate it because um, it's easy to say that you are lacking in uh, EFAs or lacking in minerals, but um, a lot of people don't understand that you need the terrain to absorb these, and you need the proper enzymes to absorb these things and to you know basically conjugate uh, what the body needs. So the reason for all these testings is because it's not just a simple, uh, you're low on magnesium. Correct. Um, absolutely right. The organic acids test is one like I'm, I'm quite familiar with uh, the micronutrient testing and so forth. The organic acid test is something that I'm seeing more and more naturopaths um, invoke in their practice. This is not an easy test for you to read, is it?
4: And No, it's quite comprehensive. It's
1: quite, I took a look at it myself, and you almost need a, um, an, an education piece to go with this test. But can you explain to us what, what it is showing or what it's endeavoring to information it's trying to give you?
4: Absolutely. It provides insight into a few key areas. One has to do with potential pathogen or bug um, uh, presence, uh, clostridia bacteria, as well as candida or fungal Species that might be present that can disrupt the way our body's physiology works. It's one thing to get an infection. It's another thing to have these infectious um, uh, bugs lead to dysregulation in our neurotransmitters, our feel-good hormones and things like that. It can disrupt dopamine and serotonin and, and other facets of what helps us feel well and feel alert. Um, so it provides insight into a few of those um Pathogenic or infectious um, mechanisms that might be present. It helps us identify breakdowns with respect to mitochondrial function. And I'll, I'll certainly, I trust, I'll get into this in more detail as we go forward. But in short, mitochondria are the energy factories of the cell. They help with the production of energy. And as you can imagine, if someone's dealing with impaired energy, with fatigue, one of the places we want to look is how well is the factory working? Is it producing energy? So it provides insight there. It provides insight into um, glutathione capacity. This is our body's master antioxidant, the the big um, fire extinguisher of the body. It provides insight into other facets of energy production with respect to the various steps involved. It provides insight into nutritional status, so looking at mainly vitamins. Um, it also provides insight into amino acid status, though the verdict is out as far as how clinically relevant that is, it's still information that we can take into consideration. And so for me, and I'm sure I'm missing something, but for me, it's the best bang for your buck kind of test. And I have no affiliation with, with the lab or, or any associated body, but I found clinically One, I want a test to be accurate, and two, I hope that it can actually guide treatment. And I find that this test in particular provides that utility. It allows us to really move forward with some more focused and targeted care.
1: Is this a new test or something I'm just becoming more aware of? Because I'm seeing people that, that have, are, have had this testing done. Um, it's, it's something that I really don't know a lot about. I've looked at a test result, and, it, it, and as I said, it, it is involved. Um, just to understand all the ins and outs of what things do. Um, is this new to the, the forefront? I just It seems to be yeah, popping up more and more.
4: I couldn't tell you how long it's been around, but I know it's been around, I would say, at least 10 plus years. But but like you said, I think part of the challenge has been the interpretation, and that may have been a barrier mm-hmm. to individuals wanting to run it. But thankfully, the, the lab advisors, the medical advisors that work with the labs are quite helpful. So if there are any practitioners listening that are a little bit apprehensive about engaging with this lab or any other kind of comprehensive test that they think will truly serve their patient body, Um, That's that's been helpful. And I think that's where there's been a lot more uptake. One, in the potentially increasing prevalence of some of these more complex diseases, Mm -hmm. as well as just education around how to utilize the findings of these kinds of tests.
1: And here's the thing that I want everyone to understand. I know in integrative health, um, functional medicine, naturopathic doctors who are ordering these tests, sometimes there's a lot of backlash. You have to pay for them. There's no question you have to pay for them. But- this is something that it's, you don't just want a snapshot. You really want an in-depth understanding of what's going on. And the reasoning that the reason that things like chronic fatigue, syndrome, mass, the reason they're coming to the forefront now and are being recognized is because naturopathic doctors are digging in deep and trying to find these things. So yes, it is an additional expense, but it is extremely warranted. So I, I want to make that I, I run into a lot of people that have an issue with the cost of these things, But honestly, they are not tests that are just being run for the heck of it. They are vital tests and they need to be done for a very, very good, clear picture of what's going on. Everyone, I want to take a quick break and we'll be back to continue this conversation.
2: If grace was a kingdom I stopped at the gate Thinking I don't deserve to pass through After all the mistakes that I've made Oh, but I heard a whisper As heaven bent down Said, child, don't you know that the first will be last And the last get a crown Table just waiting for you so come on inside
0: you are listening to the Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada a Catholic voice wherever you are to contact us and be a part of the show email th at radiomaria.ca We now continue with the program here once again is your host. Kathy Biasi,
1: Welcome back, everybody. We're having a great conversation here with Dr. Latouche. So, Dr. Latouche, you've run all these tests. You've got the results sitting in front of you. What have you found in practice are the commonalities of chronic fatigue syndrome?
4: There are, um, clinically as well as in the research, we see a few kind of key considerations. And historically, naturopathic doctors in particular have focused heavily on adrenal fatigue. This may be a term that any of your listeners that are dealing with persistent fatigue may have have heard. Um, The adrenal glands are a a set of glands that sit atop the kidneys that play a role in in the regulation of energy. They release substances like uh, adrenaline, we call it epinephrine here in Canada, as well as cortisol, the, the stress or performance hormone. And so it's, it's logical to link um, dysregulation within those glands that support energy regulation um, to chronic fatigue syndrome. And so that's part of what we may see if we run what's called a four-point cortisol test. It's a salivary test looking at the, the way the body is, is regulating cortisol throughout a given day. Um, so we'll often see that. We'll often see that the thyroid system is not functioning as well as it, it could be. And that's usually but not always related to an impaired adrenal system and so that's one of the things that may come up on, on this testing and certainly an area that we want to shine a light and treat another area is um, relates to the mitochondria which i spoke about very briefly this is the energy factory of the cell and if the ability of the mitochondria is uh, to produce energy to regulate energy is impaired it makes sense that overall energy regulation would suffer and so what we tend to see from these laboratory tests, as well as just from a, a fairly comprehensive intake, is that these systems are dysregulated. But what I've found is that when we just focus on adrenal mm-hmm. thyroid function, as well as mitochondrial function, we fall short when it comes to achieving the uh, total or best magnitude of benefit and sustained benefit. And so there are two other important considerations that I find fly under the radar. One is an imbalance within the immune system. And uh, a ton of research has been done up until this point that has identified individuals that experience chronic fatigue syndrome. And in Canada and outside of the States, it's called ME, myalgic encephalomyelitis. So people may have heard of either chronic fatigue syndrome or ME. Um, as the terminology, but individuals who fall underneath that uh, diagnosis tend to have a pattern within their body that is more pro inflammatory there 's more fires in the body, and there's less there are less fire extinguishers in the body, and that can lead to dysregulation within the adrenal system and within the mitochondrial system. so if we keep trying to dig a bit deeper. Yes, supporting adrenal health or hormonal function, supporting mitochondrial function are important facets, but again, going a bit farther down that rabbit hole, we find immune function is compromised for genetic reasons or other reasons, one of which possibly but likely relates to chronic infections. And so post-infectious fatigue is something that has been known about for quite a long time, Um, Mono. Nucleosis, Um, this is the kissing disease. We get it from Epstein-Barr or or, or cytomegalovirus. People, most people, or not most, a large chunk of the population will test positive for having been infected with one of these two viruses. Not everyone showed symptoms. Not everyone got big swollen lymph nodes and was bedridden for a period of time, had a fever, things like that. Um, But a lot of individuals have been infected with these viruses. But there are a handful of individuals that have never been well since this. They got the infection, they were wiped up, but they've never felt well from that period. And when we take a step back and understand the broader scope, there are a number of infections that can cause post-infectious fatigue. And we're seeing that with what we term COVID long haulers or long Mm -hmm. COVID now, where individuals have have recovered from the acute illness, but there seems to be a persistent fatigue in a, in a, a subset of of the population. Um, All of this to say, if we really want to address the underlying root cause of what's going on, yes, there are breakdowns in hormonal physiology, there may be dysregulation to energy production via the mitochondria, but we really need to focus in on the immune system. We need to focus in on the potential of these chronic infections and at least uh, evaluate for it, if nothing else, um, so that we can have the right information and be able to structure a, f- a focused treatment plan that is unique to that person's needs. Because the way I find it, no two patients that deal with these this constellation of symptoms necessarily are experiencing or the same underlying factors. And so that's where these comprehensive tests, as to, to, to your point earlier, are really valuable, because it allows us to sift through and really focus in. So those four considerations are are the um, high-level factors that are largely at play, the adrenal slash thyroid, um, mitochondrial function, immune dysregulation, and chronic infections.
1: Inflammation seems to be the underlying cause of literally everything uh, when you dig deep, and, and your approach to treatment would be different, as you said um, for everybody, um, we talked a little bit earlier uh, before we came on the show, and I want to throw this one at you because it, it can be lumped into this area of or it can maybe be a cause. I don't even correct the terminology of uh, multiple chemical sensitivity. Um, and as I said, I would love to do a, a full show on that, but it, it's. It's a it's something that a lot of people suffer from. And again, this is another one of these things that are sort of you're just put off, you know, we see the signs don't walk in here, people can't stand some certain smells. And, and a lot of people don't take this, um, take this as serious, but it is serious, correct? And it can add on to fatigue, can it not?
4: Absolutely. I appreciate you bringing that up. The way I encourage patients to think about it is imagine your body as a bucket or a barrel. And when the water level of the barrel fills and overflows, that's when symptoms are experienced. Symptoms could be chronic fatigue multiple chemical sensitivity, mast cell activation syndrome or histamine intolerance. It could be more of a fibromyalgia, kind of a more pain dominant syndrome. It could be any number of, of, of these kind of complex chronic illness um, syndromes that, that are, are spoken about um, and that people experience. And, and with MCS or multiple chemical sensitivity in particular, this is a manifestation of that, that, that bucket overflowing there are a number of factors that challenge the immune system and nervous system to the point where there's this hypersensitivity and a seeming hypersensitivity towards everything, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, The person that's experiencing multiple chemical sensitivity will likely be quite reactive to foods. They, again, uh, uh, well, not again, but, but what I share with them, they may find that they're quite reactive to even things like electromagnetic frequency and radio frequency and things that, again, people will often dismiss as being, Voodoo or hoo ha or airy fairy, but these are actual challenges to the nervous system. And when when that water level is just sitting at the brim, it's not going to take much for that person to 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 overflow for symptoms to be present. And I find in in multiple chemical sensitivity, in particular, and you're right, we could dedicate a, a whole you know talk to this. Um, the same underlying factors are likely present, and and I can go into a little bit more detail with respect to. Um, what are these underlying factors? The chronic infections, as I mentioned, this could be an infection someone picked up, you know, as we normally do, a contaminated surface, close contact with someone. You travel abroad, you're enjoying yourself, but you you sip up some contaminated water, you get Montezuma's revenge or something like that. Um, This could be an infection that's transmitted through a tick or a mosquito. It could be transmitted through a a dog or a cat. Um, The other thing, are root canals. And so we often don't think about this, but dental health is is extremely important in one of the areas I speak. I'm not a dentist, I don't claim to be, but we talk about this and then connect patients with the right practitioners. Um, but if a root canal was not addressed in an appropriate manner and there's still infectious material, there's still dead tissue, that's gonna be a burden to the body. That's gonna keep poking the bruise, keeping the nervous system on high alert, immune system on high alert. Um, scars can do the same by way of how it impacts the the regulation of the nervous system Um, mold exposure is a huge one and one that I find to be a a predominant factor in multiple chemical sensitivity in addition to chronic fatigue Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting others but there are a handful of other um, exposures and burdens, just toxin exposure in general, right, whether it's the glyphosate in in, in pesticide residues Um, or, or other chemicals that we may be in contact with, but the bottom line is it's multifaceted, and it's a, a culmination of these burdens or challenges to the point where that barrel now overflows, that bucket mm-hmm. overflows, and how that manifests for someone will depend on a number of factors. But it all kind of comes down to the boils down to the same factors.
1: And it's it's interesting because the underlying premise here is that um, different symptomology for different people. We're individuals and although we may have a similar virus that's in our system, how it manifests in symptomology in our body can be totally different. But again, with, with so many people like you on the show, there are recourses and there is help available. Do you have any strategies that um, people can start to implement right now uh, before they get to a practitioner like yourself that can help boost energy that can bring them about to a better place?
4: Certainly. If it's more of this complex, you know, fatigue that we've been speaking about, three things that I think everyone could at least try. And and think these are probably things that people have either tried to integrate or thought about, but they, they really are foundational and will provide some degree of benefit and, and allow us to move forward in a more um, uh, strategic manner. One would be optimizing sleep. I've already acknowledged that these are often situations where sleep is not restorative. People are resting but not necessarily getting that boost that one would expect. Nonetheless, we still need to prioritize that. This is a situation where the body is running on fumes. We need to try to fill up that gas tank, even if it doesn't yield the the subjective benefits that we would hope we need to start filling that fuel tank up and and one of the big things i share as i sk- stare into a screen um, has to do with <laughs> screen time especially at night thankfully we we're doing this earlier in the day but
1: this is where we're at right now okay so <laughs> right. we all are cutting each other some slack here <laughs> that's it
4: yeah so based on the reality of one the situation we're in to the fact that, you know, we're not gonna sacrifice the convenience of what screens provide us with. And when I say screens, I'm talking about our laptops, our, our phones, our tablets, our, our even our TVs. But as as some people may already be aware, these screens, these backlit screens emit a spectrum of light and there's a certain band within that light spectrum that, that that keeps the nervous system amped up. It suppresses the release of melatonin, which is a substance that helps us transition to sleep. It, it, it contributes to the water level in that bucket being full or fuller because again, it doesn't allow the body to shift into that rest and digest state that we need for healing. And so for individuals that are glued to the phone or glued to their tablet or laptop late at night, um, the goal would be to one separate from that as much as possible. I advocate for 7 to 8 p.m being shut off time for for screens I recognize that that's not realistic but I, I advocate for it. If we are using screens later at night, blue blocking glasses which are widely available on the market or at least applications on your devices that that mitigate the the, the blue light that would contribute to that that challenge would be a starting point so, if you Google sleep hygiene, that will pull up, you know, a a number of habits that we can integrate to support restful and restorative sleep. But at the very least, the blue blocking glasses or apps that block the blue light or ideally spacing, um, uh, spacing yourself from the, the, the screens as you get into your bedtime routine, 30 minutes an hour before bed. That would certainly be one of the key facets that we can do to support, um, the potential for recovery. Another one would be optimal nutrient status. And I get asked all the time, I'm sure you do as well. You know, what's the right diet? What's the best diet? Not the right, what's the best diet? But it's more about, you know, from an individual perspective, what can Mm -hmm. we be doing to enhance nutrient status? And I want to circle back to what you said Uh, the one thing I I think it's important for people to recognize is it's not just what you eat. You could have a world renowned chef making you the most nutritious meals, but if your terrain, if the, 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 gut ecology is not optimized, then you're not making best use of those nutrients. Nonetheless, from a general health perspective, a plant based whole foods diet that is centered on variety and diversity of plant fibers it's unfortunately not enough just to consume a large volume of veggies. We want to get a variety because the variety of those plant substances, those veggies, provide a variety of plant fibers, which feed our gut microbiome, lead to diversity of our gut microbiome, and that is one of the very important pillars of health. Will this lead to an overnight you know, rebound in how you're feeling? Probably not. But it will lay, again, another layer of that foundation for us to move forward. So not just volume of veggies, but variety. Mm-hmm. As long as you tolerate it, if your body doesn't tell you that this isn't working for you, try to expand as best you can. Something new every week, at the very least, is what I encourage. And the, uh, the third thing that is extremely important for people that are dealing with, with CFS or ME is pacing or energy conservation. This is difficult. We're often go-go people, um, and individuals that end up dealing with these these situations tend to be those that that were burning the candle at both ends, that that were pushing their bodies, and and that's not across the board, but that is often what I see. And so, from a behavioral perspective, it can be difficult to to dial back. But there's a, a tool called an activity log. Um, uh, I'll try to make that available on my website. I don't think I do. Otherwise, it should be easy to to Google. To Google. Um, but it's a tool that allows you to track the balance between energy usage and rest, and be able to visually see how overdoing it leads to the crashes that often huh. come with these conditions. Better write that down. Yeah, activity log. Um, I'm not sure who produced it. I don't. I don't think I've ever seen any credentials or designation on it. But um, so I wish I could give credit, but but it is a tool that I've been using for years, and it is one that provides the behavioral uh, support with respect to being able to pace yourself and to ensure that we're not continually depleting that fuel tank.
1: Mm-hmm. Wonderful tips. Wonderful tips. So as we come to the end of the show, um, I am envision people that uh, will have the light bulb go off and um, some hope in this direction when they're suffering. How can people contact you either for um, direct working with you directly or referrals out? How can we, the best way to get a hold of you?
4: My website liamlatouche.com is um, one of the ways people can reach out. There's a contact section and you can, you can deliver an email to me that way. Uh, I am on Facebook as well at Liam Latouche Wellness. I'm less active there, admittedly. Um, Instagram, I am more. Um, active and and my Instagram handle is uh, Dr. Liam Latouche, so I'd be happy to do my best to field questions. I Obviously, can't provide medical advice without you know having an intake and getting some insight, mm-hmm. but um, we can certainly explore if if care is is appropriate. If I'm the right fit, I've got tremendous colleagues scattered throughout Canada and into the states and, and elsewhere. I'd be happy to direct individuals wherever they their best, um, where, wherever their needs will be met best. Um, but but there are a number of advanced therapies that that we can explore, and like you said, I think that the key um, the key word is hope, and I hear that time and time again. And I'm not the healer. I'm here to put puzzle pieces together. I'm here to help identify the barriers that are keeping you from feeling well, and I'm here to help provide um, a cushion to support the body's innate healing capacity. And my hope is to provide hope or, or stimulate hope and empower. And Wonderful. so my hope is that we can, you know, really work as a team to, 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 to get there, to help people get there.
1: What a nice way to end the show off. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a very, very good show and a, a, nice, a nice talk. And it's been a pleasure meeting you.
4: My pleasure. Thank you so
1: much for having me. My pleasure as well. Everybody, we'll talk to you next week on The Health Hub.